Everyone had a good break over Christmas, New Year? Yeah? One of the things I've really enjoyed over Christmas, if we just have the, the PowerPoint on, is lighting fires. Now, before you worry and think I'm just talking about random fires, I'm talking about fires in a wood burner. And one of the other things I really enjoy is chopping up wood. Um, so I'm out in the garden, I'm chopping up logs, and when, when you chop up wood, you realize that actually wood looks like this. That's not the kind of wood I was burning, just in case you're worrying I was burning expensive tables, but it has rings in it. If you look at um, wood, you can see the rings that demonstrate the growth. And if you look at that piece of wood there, you see how some of the rings quite near the beginning are quite widely spaced. Then every now and again, you get a very narrow ring, a very narrow one. And apparently, this tells us all about the weather conditions which the tree was living in. Did you know that? You can tell how cloudy it was, apparently. You can tell years of drought. Well, you can't round here because we don't have years of drought. You can tell when there's been a year of disease, when actually the tree has stopped growing because it's been fighting off some kind of problems. Now, we stand a week into 2017. We've got the full 2016 behind us. It was our first full year here in Lim for us as a family. You've got... Thank you. <laughs> We've got 51 weeks left of 2017. You've got 50 shopping weeks left until Christmas. I wonder today, if you're here as a disciple of Jesus, if you're committed to following him, what was 2016 like for you? Was it a year of growth in Christ? Was it a year where there was a big gap? Was it a year where there was a very small gap? Was it a year of actually spiritual disease, where actually you were in reverse and going backwards? Or was it a year of plentiful growth? Just think about that for a moment. What was 2016? And then think ahead. What do you want 2017 to be? Well, I hope if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're not thinking, great, I really want a drought year. I hope that's not where you're up to this morning. But what are your hopes and your dreams for this year? Where do you want to be at the threshold of 2018 this time next year? Do you want to have grown in Christ? Do you want to grow? Well, if you've got your Bibles in front of you, we're going to look at um, 1 Timothy chapter 4, page 1127 in the Church Bible. 1127. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales, Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life 
and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. That is why we labor and strive, because we have put our hope in the living God, who is the Savior of all people, and especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift which was given to you through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Just spend a moment in quiet, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word to us today. I want to pray that as we look at these scriptures together, that these will inspire us to help 2017 to be a year of growth. A year of growth in godliness, in Christ-likeness. Transform as we pray. Amen. One Timothy is one of the, the so-called pastoral epistles. It's um, one of Paul's letters that he's writing to the next generation of Christian leaders who are coming through. And it's often used as a manual, if you like, for Christian leadership. There is a lot in the two letters to Timothy um, that are really applicable to Christian leaders. But it goes beyond that, and they're applicable, actually, to all of us. So, first of all, Tom, if we just have the next PowerPoint up. I want us to look, and this may seem a bit of a harsh first bullet point. I want us to look at false growth. You know, sometimes we need to know what growth doesn't look like in order to know what real growth does look like. So, Paul starts us off in this passage, and he he starts off by talking about what things will be like in the last days. Now, for Paul, when the Spirit came at Pentecost, the last days have started. The last days start as the, pro- uh, the prophecies of Joel are fulfilled, as the Spirit is poured into the life of the church. And we live now in the period of the last days. Obviously, we're later than Paul was, because we're further down the track. But we're still in these last days. And he says, until Jesus returns in glory, people will come who will try and get Christians to go off course. And he says there will be deceiving spirits and demons who peddle lies to get people off the truth of the gospel. You know, the Bible teaches that there is a very real enemy. That there is a very real enemy who will do anything he can to knock us off course. To get us sidetracked, to get us thinking about things that are not right. And Paul has absolutely no time for people who do that. Did you notice his less than pleasant language about them? He says they are hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared with a hot iron. That's referring to some rather unpleasant Greek medical practices, which I actually won't go into this morning. But false growth here is talked about as forbidding external things. You notice how these hypocritical liars come and say, don't get married, don't have anything to do with that, stop eating certain types of food, do all this kind of external stuff. 
And the early church at the time when Paul was writing here was confronting more and more a group of people who became known as the Gnostics and this sort of kind of belief called Gnosticism, which was a mixture of Christian teaching, a bit of philosophy and a bit of paganism thrown in for good measure. And it was a kind of muddle of all kinds of stuff. And they taught that actually the flesh, if you like, the body, was so evil, you just didn't do anything with it at all. It was beyond redemption. And so instead, you found your way to God through secret knowledge and through doing external type things. Now, we can read this and think, we're not going to be led astray by that. But for the early church, you know, it looked really plausible. It looked like it was really genuine. It looked inviting because it had achievability markers in. You know, you you can say, I'm going to abstain from this. I'm not going to do that. And that's my spiritual growth. It's quite easy to do that. We see, the problem is, once we have gospel plus, there's no gospel at all. Once we have gospel plus a load of external stuff that we need to do to show we're growing, there's no gospel there at all. That is not grace. You know, we don't have the same struggles that they had in Paul's day. But it is still so easy to fall into the trap of thinking growth is about external markers. Thinking that spiritual growth is about external kind of things. Things that may look good, things that may make us look spiritual, but actually don't have anything to do with the gospel. Tom Wright comments about this time of of church history. He says, for us, 20 centuries later, we can look back and we can see the obvious flaws in what these Gnostics were teaching. Yet it's not so easy to do that in our own day. It's not so easy to look at our church, our life, our spiritual walk and say, where am I getting things wrong? Where am I going for false growth instead of real growth? So what are false external markers? What are those things that we put in our lives that make us look like we're growing but actually might be leading us down a wrong path? Well, I wonder if it's those times when actually external actions aren't met within a reality. I got a Christmas present from Sam in the office. Can you see that from there? I'll put it on the screen so you can see what the book is. It's the new Mr. Men books. Have you seen these? (coughs) Ladybird books. Mr. Men. Why did I say Mr. Men? Ladybird books. Now, I remember these the first time round when they they were basically kids' books. And this one is the new sort. And they're a bit tongue-in-cheek. If you want the one on Brexit, apparently it's brilliant. There there is one on Brexit. But this one is all about meetings. And, you know, Sam, I think, obviously knows my joy of admin meetings. So so she bought me this. I'm just going to read a page of it. This is about Mr. Beverly. And it says, Mr. Beverly is reading out a 60-page document entitled The Paperless Office. (laughs) Yesterday, Mr. Beverly emailed the document to everyone and told them to read it before the meeting, which they all did just in case he hands everybody a printed copy. (laughs) Mr. Beverly finds the sound of the shredder very relaxing. (laughs) What's he doing? Go on, somebody give me an answer. What's Mr. Beverly doing? He's what? He's being a hypocrite, basically. He's saying, let's talk about the paperless office, the benefits of not using paper, and then destroying, goodness knows how many trees in the process, by then printing the whole lot out. There's a gaping reality hole between the external objectives and the inner reality of what is going on. You know, that is a danger for us as Christians, isn't it? When we start speaking words and yet the inner reality 
is something quite different. And where we get this gaping gulf of hypocrisy in our own hearts, in the life of our church, and in the life of the Christian community. I was thinking, well, what does this look like? Well, perhaps it looks like when we talk about the love of Christ, yet the very person sat next to us or opposite us in church was struggling to love. When we talk about justice and freedom, when we claim to be passionate about the poor, yet we sit complicit in a world where perhaps our wealth is actually the cause of other people's poverty. Or perhaps where we nod in the direction of wanting to be spiritually transformed, it actually secretly, internally, we're harboring on and holding on to pet little sins that we just won't let the Spirit touch and we won't let God transform. I wonder if you've ever found yourself thinking I must do something to look like I'm spiritually growing. Don't put your hands up. But I wonder whether you have. I know in my own life, when I look deep inside myself, I found that I do that. I found that sometimes I've been with particular groups of people and they're talking at a certain spiritual level and I think, I need to join in. I don't want to look like the pagan in the room. You know, I want, I want to look like I'm really on with this and I, I'm sounding spiritual. Or perhaps it's that, you know, I'm off on a conference tomorrow with, with Darren and Rachel. We're going to Fresh Dreams for a few days. And perhaps I start talking up what's gone on there in the hopes that you'll think I'm more spiritual than I am. Have ever you found yourself doing that? Trying to put external things that make us look spiritual? When actually inside, nothing has changed. When actually inside, the reality is that I'm no more godly than I was the day before. I'm just talking well. I'm just putting on a good show. And that chasm of hypocrisy is growing. You know, as we move into 2017, can I encourage each of us to be real about where we're up to? To not go for those false external markers that say, this is what I am, when in reality, what is inside hasn't yet been transformed by the Spirit. Now, I don't want to grow externally in 2017. I have no desire to want to sound or behave in a more spiritual way. I want the reality to be what is going on here is what comes out. Let's make it our prayer that that is who we become, that there is no gulf, that we're not the hypocritical liars. So, Lord, would you help us to recognize the danger of false growth? Slightly more positive one now. Good training. Growth requires training. Paul points in verse 6 to 10, Um, To Timothy as a church leader, verses 6 and 7, he's basically saying to Timothy, nourish yourself on the truth. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. The godless myths there basically means fairy tales. Now, he's not saying, you know, don't try and nourish yourself on the three bears and Rapunzel. It's it's something a a little bit deeper than that. But, you know, it's it's so easy for us as Christians to get slightly off-beam in where we nourish ourselves. And so to not sort of keep Jesus as the central thing. I don't know if ever you found yourself, you just get a degree out at the start. And then you keep walking forward. And years down the line, that has become quite a big gap. And that you're way off, actually, where God wants you to be. I wonder how often in your own life, and I know certainly as a look at my own life, have I prioritized spiritual growth in the wrong way? Must go to more meetings. Must go to more meetings. Have you ever found yourself saying that? That's the way I'll grow. Darren's shaking his head. <laughs> Must go to more meetings. Or perhaps church busyness takes over from real spiritual growth in Jesus. 
Or perhaps we find ourselves caring more about our own individual ministries than we do about how we're growing in Christ. Or perhaps we get so sucked into speculation about fringe issues of Christian doctrine that we forget that actually we're called to grow to be like Jesus. Or perhaps it's just that our faith becomes so dependent on our moods and our emotions that we forget that Christ-likeness is a call that comes at every point of our lives, whether we're up, whether we're down, whether we're in the middle. Paul says, train yourself to be godly. Train yourself. Proactive. Train yourself. Go for growth. Keep focused on Christ. Verse 8, he says that physical training has some value. Did anybody get a, um, a Fitbit over Christmas? You know, these watches that count steps. There's a few hands going up over there. Well, I didn't get one of those, but what I did get was a new phone that has a better pedometer on it than my old one. It counts my steps as a walk. And I say it's better, it's more generous than my old one was. <laughs> so now, my exact same dog walk is 400 steps more than it was before Christmas. Now, when I got this new phone, I set myself a goal for, for the time off over Christmas. And I said, well, what I want to do is I want to do as many steps over 10,000 per day as I can reasonably fit in. And over the Christmas break, now I'm going to sound self-righteous here, I did 163,364 steps. And I'm still here. It's not got me anywhere, really. Now, that is of some value, isn't it? It's of some value because it stopped me expanding too much over Christmas. It's of some value because I had some great experiences. I went up some nice hills, I went around some nice places, we had time with friends and family. Physical training is beneficial. It can improve the body, it can help us feel refreshed. But it's not eternally significant. There is no eternal value because this frame, as I'm sure we're all aware, will wear out. It will wear out, it will fall apart. I wonder how many of us this new year have made some kind of resolution to do more exercise. Anybody? Yeah? Quite a few nods. People saying, yeah, I, w- I want to sort of make sure that I- I'm fitter, I'm, I'm, I'm in a better place. I wonder, do we put the effort into our spiritual training that we will do into our physical training? Are the hours in the gym or the hours running or the hours walking or doing slightly more gentle exercise going to be matched by the hours on the knees in prayer? or the hours spent in God's word? Do we care spiritually in the way that we care for ourselves physically? Because Paul ups the stakes here. He says, godliness has value for all things. Not just the temporary, but for all things. Holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The former is helpful. The latter is of eternal value. Gordon Fee says we're to be people of the future in the present. I like that. People of the future in the present. If we grow now in Christ, it's not just valuable for today, but it lasts right through into eternity. You know, John was praying, wasn't he, that we will grow treasures in heaven, not on earth. Things that will last into eternity. So what is spiritual training? How do we do this growing in godliness? Last term, I think people on a Sunday night will get rather fed up with me referring to this book I've been reading about the early church. But I was reading a book about how the early church grew. 
And it, for me, it was really quite transformative in my thinking. And one of the things that the early church did was try to encourage Christians to get to a point where their reflexes were godly. Their reflexes were godly, where in whatever situation they were in, they would just instinctively behave as Jesus would want them to behave. Timothy, our elder boy over Christmas, he got a new board game called Scotland Yard. I don't know if anyone's played it. It's, it's quite good, actually. But the problem is, is I am rubbish at reading instructions. So I sat down, and I read them twice. Could make no head and a tail of what this game was about. I read them a third time. Still no idea whatsoever. Because I like to learn by doing, but you can't try a game until you know the rules, can you? It's just impossible. So then Claire had to go. She read the instructions. Still no better. <laughs> Timothy read them. Even he couldn't decipher them. So we all said, let's wait for Grandad. <laughs> so Grandad comes around. Now, my dad, um, his sort of background is as a mathematician, as a lecturer, and, and he's much more akin to sort of instructions than I am. Ten minutes later, we were playing the game. He'd worked out what it was, how simple it was, and then Friday night, we got the game out again. We didn't even have to refer to the instructions. Amazing. Do you know what had happened? It had become internalized. We now knew how to play. We didn't have to think about it. It wasn't a question of saying, what do we do at this move? It had just all become internalized. Godliness that Paul is talking about here is not about following rules and regulations. It's not about external markers. It's about the internalization of being like Christ. So instinctively, we become the people that Jesus wants us to be. That our reflex as a whole person is that of Jesus Christ. And it comes through nourishment. Nourishment on God's word. You know, sometimes I think it sounds so simplistic when we say, what's the answer? How do we do it? We read our Bibles. We get into God's word and we seek the Lord in prayer. How often as Christians do those simple things get overlooked? And we do everything else but those very things that God calls us to do. It's training. It's not a quick fix, but it's a lifetime commitment of discipleship. And what do we see if we do that? We see godly progress. Verses 11 to 14, if you've still got the passage in front of you. Paul is giving instructions to Timothy as a young leader. He's been, um, had hands laid on him, sort of ordained for ministry. And Paul says, well, don't let people look down on you because you're young. Now, by young at this point, we probably reckon Timothy is somewhere between 30 and 35, that sort of age bracket. And he said, actually, don't let people look down on you because you're young, but rather set an example so people see who you are in Christ. Invert it. Make it the other way around. Be the example. Verses 4, 15 to 16, if you've got the passage in front of you, I just want to focus really for the last few minutes on these verses. Verse 15, Paul encourages Timothy to give himself over to Scripture, to teaching and to the preaching of the Word, so that everyone may see your progress. So that everyone may see your progress. That might seem a bit of an odd, odd phrase, seeing as Paul won't have anything to do with external signs of spirituality. Why talk about progress? Why talk about something that is obviously a marker? 
Well, I actually think what Paul is doing here is talking about internal progression. Internal transformation. I don't know if you've ever noticed somebody who's been really going on in their life with God. That they start to change. Everything about them starts to change. I was reflecting this week. We had a a friend when we were down in Bristol. And she was, um, by her own admission, quite a sort of conservative lady. She had a real faith in God, but it, it, it wasn't a terribly exciting, dynamic faith. That was by her own admission. And she wanted to sort of rejuvenate her, her faith in God. So she went to a couple of conferences. Nothing really happened. She, she said she enjoyed them, but, but nothing really happened. Then one night, she was laid in bed. And she felt God wake her up. This is totally out of character. She wasn't the kind of person who this sort of thing happened to. So she got up. She felt that God said, kneel by your bed. So she knelt by her bed. And at that point, God poured such joy and love into her that it totally transformed her. You know, sometimes God does that. We have to be open to God being the God of surprises, as well as the God of the, the one who calls us to train. But you know what was evident after then? Was that this lady had been transformed. This lady was totally different. She used to be quite cynical. Now she's full of joy. She used to be full of bitterness. Now she's full of happiness. You could see it etched on her face. And it wasn't temporary either. It just lasted and lasted. And she just grew and grew and grew. She was becoming more like Jesus. She was becoming more like him. Did you like the changes you saw in yourself in 2016? Were there any? If there were, did you like them? Were they changes that made you more Christ-like? Changes that meant you were more humble? More peaceful? More generous? Or were they changes in the opposite direction? Was 2016 a year of frustration? of becoming less satisfied in your relationship with God, perhaps more agitated, more angry, or more proud. As we move into 2017, are you able to recommit that this year will be a year of growth, not of shrinkage? A year of moving forward in godliness, not of retreating back into yourself. Verse 16, Paul says, Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. You know, those two things have to go hand in hand. How we live out the gospel and what we believe the gospel is. We can't separate those two things. Paul says, watch them both closely. You know, I've said it before, but I don't ever believe anybody accidentally becomes closer to God. You don't accidentally find yourself with a great prayer life or reading the Bible lots. These are things that we have to train for and have to be committed to doing it. Verse 16, Paul gives us a purpose. He says, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's not by any means suggesting salvation is by doing stuff, not at all. But actually, the life of grace will bear its fruit. The life of grace will bear its fruit. And also, if we do this, if we become more godly, when we speak, the way we live, people will see Christ in us. People will see Christ in us. So what are your hopes for 2017? What are your dreams? Are you ready for a year of growth? Do you want a year of growth? Good. Glad someone wants a year of growth. Do you want a year of adventure with the Lord? A year of moving forward? 
Paul says, get training. Get training. Are there things you need to do practically to help that? Perhaps you need to join a small group. Perhaps you need to get into a prayer triplet. Perhaps you need to buy some books that help you read the Bible more, whatever it is. Well, let's make it our prayer at the start of this year. Lord, help 2017 to be a year of growth in godliness. A year we look back on and say, actually, on the tree of our life, if you like, that was a wide circle. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you call us to relationship with you. Thank you that our relationship with you is not rooted in what we do, but it's rooted in what you have done on the cross. Thank you that we are alive in you because you died for us and rose again. I just want to pray that this year will be a year of real growth for each of us in this room today. That we will grow to become more and more like Jesus. Lord, help us to commit to a lifestyle where we train and we move forward with you. We ask it for your sake and for your glory. Amen.